Hi everyone, the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in the following podcast belong solely to the host and its contributors. They are not necessarily the views of our employers, organizations, committees, or other group or individual. I'm David Campbell. And I'm Joseph Whitney. This is Brewing with BIM. Where we talk about construction processes, technology, BIM, and beer. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Brewing with BIM. I know it's been a while, but as always, I'm Joe Whitney, and with me is Dave Campbell. What's going on, Dave? Oh, not much, Joe. Another beautiful day here in Oregon. Yeah? You got some snow? Oh, yes, we did. We got uh, we got some. It's pretty much gone now, thank goodness, because I was really tired of it after about the third or fourth day. <laughs> you know? The guy who's moving back to Indiana? Oh, I know, dude. I'm like, am I sure I want to do this? No, but yes. You know, I'm like, I feel like Tennessee is so much better, but, uh, <laughs> you know, Indiana's close to work, so we'll figure it out. Yeah. T- Tennessee is, is beautiful, man. It's got uh, a bit more humidity and stuff, but, um, you know. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, Indiana's got some nice parks, man. I drove, drove through that thing pr- pretty, uh, <laughs> you know, top to bottom. Where, where did you my... drive? Yeah, where did you drive? That's what I'd like to know, that you got away from the cornfields and soybeans i mean southern indiana I, I let every southern indiana i think is beautiful i mean indiana is beautiful during certain times of the year um oh, I'm i like the kentucky biased. border man that's oh like. the kentucky bo- yes dude southern indiana kentucky border with the caves and the rolling hills the trees yes that's dude that's actually pretty perfect for right where i want to move after i'm coming from the pacific northwest i'm like i don't know if i could live without trees anymore like i don't want to go back to all fields i didn't realize i needed these right i don't don't want to see my neighbor's house three miles away yeah exactly dude (laughs) yeah man uh, southern indiana gorgeous area you know, uh, once you get north of uh, – I'm probably going to piss people off by saying this. But once you get north of Indianapolis, man, uh, you know, I could I could keep on driving. <laughs> yeah, you know, honestly, though, yeah. I mean, I, I like West Lafayette. I like, you know, the Bloomington areas. and um, What town did we go to, man, where were we hanging out? Oh, Valpo. 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 Dude, that little uh, – that library. Yeah, there's the Franklin with, uh, House, dude. Man, oh, Stacks. No, Stacks. Stacks, yeah. Yeah. That place was legit, man. It was like a library converted to an eatery. Man, it was a uh, it was a cool place to hang out. Yeah, man. You know what's funny is I see uh, some of that trend start moving through. I mean, Indiana, I think slow. I mean, we do have Chicago right there, so you do see some of those kind of trends start coming over. But the first time I saw that place, I I loved it. Like you you're sitting in this you know building with old built-in like furniture, built-in bookshelves, books all over the you know all over the walls and stuff, and it's. It's just it is a like just a cool place to hang out. And I mean, they all the beer that they have, like right on tap, I think like 30, 40 different types. Yeah, of beer. we had uh, Robert the Bruce, man. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we did. That was a that was a good night. Bad next morning, but good night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you you didn't uh, drive in a blizzard to a client's office um, and, uh, you know, have to wake up an hour early because there's a time zone difference. Damn it. That is true. That oh, is true. That, that killed me, man. That time zone difference. Yeah, but you know, it's funny. I I do look forward to getting back to start really working more in that area. Um, 
in, in terms of like helping with BIM processes, helping with collaboration, coordination, seeing what's going on with different scanning projects that I can be a part of. Um, yeah, it's I've, exciting at the same time, you know what I mean? Yeah, I've got a number of contacts in the area and um, it seems like they're all getting hungry for BIM at this point, man. We, you know, we chat about stuff regularly and it seems like they're always on the cusp, like just like, yeah, we're, you know, we got a project where we're looking to implement something and, it, you know, it seems to be right there. Nobody else is really doing it around here. I feel like we could be the leaders and it's like, you know well, what, man, like dive in. Like, let's exactly. Get this going. Do it. But uh, yeah. it seems it seems like uh, uh, I'm having that conversation more and more like people are they're ready for it. They're ready for something to require it and, and uh, them to start diving in like they're already starting to get their feet wet with some like sample projects or going over old projects and re-dabbling and some stuff so i don't know ma'am i'm uh i think i think some cool things are coming to the midwest i do too dude. i think that a lot of cool things are coming to the industry in general and i know we'll talk about that more in a minute here yeah. so i gotta ask joe what are you drinking Ah, uh, man so dave my man uh we've got something really cool we should probably talk about uh, oh, yes. yeah i mean we got a lot of cool things we're, we're always talking about cool shit dude we're just cool people um <laughs> so <laughs> this is how you guys know we're already like a drink deep. <laughs> uh, man, my uh, like 10th grade uh, English teacher, he used to always just say indubitably. Um, it was always cracked me up, man. He he uh, he sound he, he talked and sound he actually looked and sounded like Bismarcky, man. So he'd be like indubitably. Oh man, he was he was hilarious. Anyway, so you and I we talked about this in the last episode. Um, we were talking about these bourbon bullets, man, or, uh, bullet, bullet, bullet nope. bourbons. Bullet. Bourbon yeah, bullets. bourbon bullets. Yep. Yeah, bourbon bullets. Yeah, I had it right. Um, and essentially what it is, it's a piece of an old, uh, barrel that whiskey was in, um, that has been whittled or carved or whatever, or shaped into a specific bullet. And you know, the rifle bullet, I don't know, man. Yep. I have no clue what it is. Um, what's the bullet? That oh, is carbon. Uh, the 300 or the 308 Lapua. I think it's the 308 Lapua. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to nod my head. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a big ass bullet, though. Um, but essentially, what they do is it, you know, it's it's got the the notes of the the barrel in there and whatever was in the con in the container, um, and then they lightly char it, so it's got some smokiness to it. It is the 338 Lapua. I'm sorry, the 338. Oh, epic fail, man. Epic so, fail. So what we've been doing is uh, you and I, we each grabbed a, a bottle of whiskey that we like. You know, it's kind of our middle of the road go to. And we got something maybe on the cheaper side or maybe something on the more expensive side and, and tried to figure out, you know, if it is, is are these bullets going to make cheap whiskey taste better? So, you know, i.e. save you money, just buy a bunch of these bullets because they're dirt cheap. Or is it going to elevate fancier drinks? Uh, is it going to make, is it going to do anything? You know, like we were kind of going back and forth. So uh, before I tell you what I'm drinking, man, I got to ask you, what what did you put your bullets in? Dude, I, so I actually took a picture of this and I want to post it up on the site, but I took each of my bullets and I put one in a, a bottle of Knob Creek, one in a bottle of Basil Hayden's, one in a bottle of Jim Beam Black, which is aged, uh, I think it's like 10 to 12 years. And then uh, for the last bottle that I got, it was, uh, I, I had this actually during our Christmas kind of time episode, but the Redneck Riviera made by uh, John Rich there. 
and you know that's about 20 bucks 25 bucks a bottle so it's a, it's kind of a cheaper bottle and uh you know even on the the label it says it's a small batch whiskey with vanilla honey smoothness and a subtle oak finish so i'm like ah this would be pretty cool to try it out and and see what's up what about you all right man so i did two things and one of them i'm drinking uh, so I went with, you know, bullet bourbon. It's the middle of the road. It's what I always get when I, I'm in a rush and I don't want to spend 20 minutes trying to figure solid, that's solid. what I do, man. I go in there and I'm like, all right, well, this looks good. Yeah. Oh, it's got notes of honey. Where's this one made? And I'm like, oh, this one's from, you know, Oklahoma. I don't want that, man. You know, like, yep. Yep. I'm, I'm like, just, and then I, I spent I can 20 spend, minutes going I could spend so much time in the liquor store. Yep. Adrian will text me sometimes like, what are you doing? And I'm, I'm trying to find the perfect bottle. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. Just give me time. <laughs> it's a combination of, of the flavor profile, where it's made, yeah. and the coolness of the bottle, damn it. Yes. All right? It is. It is. It, I mean, the, the coolness <laughs> of the bottle is going to get your attention, right? The label yeah. or anything on it. Like the dead, the rogue dead guy, what I told you about, dude, it has a, the little dead guy above the bottle. I I, as soon as I saw that, I was like, man, that's cool. I, I would, I would keep that bottle. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to get rid of it. I would I'd love to keep it, use it as like a decanter. <laughs> there you go, man. You know, uh, I know I, I was with another colleague of mine uh, and we were out buying like, you know, this is years back. We were buying liquors as like gifts for customers and stuff. Uh, and, you know, friends of ours, that sort of stuff. And, and one of the bottles was shaped like a skull and it was vodka. And we literally just bought it because oh, yeah. the damn vodka yeah, bottle. Right. Looks so damn skull. cool. I think it was. I think it was the Dan Aykroyd one, man. Yeah. And it was just a cool ass looking bottle, man. So it's like, you know what? Obviously, I'm not gonna drink it. I don't know how it tastes, but the bottle looks cool. It got my attention. Yep. Yep. It's it's awesome. I mean, it, it's well, a thing that's actually uh, needed to be thought about in every industry, no matter what. I was actually just talking to someone about this. Um, what yesterday? As part of our industry, I feel like visualization is is something that you know is kind of oh, overlooked yeah. it, it's it's so important for everyone involved in that project to have and involved in a construction project to have visualization whether it's the owner it's the draft everybody can be benefit benefited you know they can benefit whatever <laughs> Jeez, yeah well i tell you what man when you show an, show an owner something cool like a 3d model and you put it in vr or let them you know pick and pick you know, colors or whatever, whatever it is, there's a wow factor to it. That visualization yep. is important. Same thing, you know, packaging matters, I think. Um, well, and my, my sister-in-law has taught me that because she was the, like the a lead packaging designer or whatever for like Con Air or something like that. But anyway, she designed it, you know, the way that boxes looked and the way things went out and the way they felt. And it's like, damn, I didn't even really think about it. There's a science to that shit. Like there's, there's some real craft in, in making that stuff, to, you know, uh, shine. Yeah, yeah. There, I mean, it's even in, let's say, cooking, right? We both love cooking. Oh, yeah, dude. You eat with your eyes. Yeah. yeah, dude, that's it. I mean, honestly, when I when I approach, you know, a plate, when you look at food, when you look at a beer, at, you look at a whiskey, you look, you got to look at it. You yeah. got to sniff it. You, you know, you start going through the different stuff, your different senses there in that sense. But it, it's always, uh, it, it's, I think, I it's key for us as humans to see it, to really be able to see something. There, you know there's I mean? a reason why freaking every hipster millennial, myself included, takes picture of, you know, really cool looking food and puts it on their Insta, Insta tweeter <laughs> face. Or, you Dude, know. I do that still. Uh, I just took a picture of the ramen bowl that I made yesterday. I was oh, so man. proud of it. I was like, yes, look at this. Badass. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that that said, man, um, uh, I'm perhaps drinking from the most boring bottle there is known to man, and that's the Bullet Bourbon because it is shaped like a bottle. <laughs> there's nothing. Dude, like, that thing is thick, though. It is thick, man. Those but there's are like so nothing. Thick. There's nothing excited about it, other than like the the raised lettering on the glass. Lettering, is yeah, cool. that's pretty but, cool. It is. So so I've got uh, a um one of my uh, bullets in that one, and then the other bottle I have uh, my bullet in is a uh, you know it's my lower grade whiskey. It's a Kinsey ten year uh, American whiskey from Philadelphia. It's not horrible, like you know I wouldn't say that it's poor poor quality or anything like that. It just happens to be at a lower price point. Um, so like, you know, if you ain't got, if Woodford Reserve isn't on sale or something like that, like that's, that's probably a good go-to and, you know, 25 bucks, 30 bucks, not too bad. So I put my other bullet in that one and, uh, I haven't tried that one yet, but, uh, this bourbon, this bullet that I'm drinking, I gotta say, man, I'm going to, I'm going to hype up this bullet just a little bit. Uh, the bullet in my bullet bourbon, um, has brought out sweeter notes uh, and mellowed the, um, any sting that's with it whatsoever. So yes. like I normally put a little, you know, a splash of ginger ale or something on top of my bullet bourbon. Not that I don't like the flavor or anything. It's just, you know, I feel like bullet to me is more of a mixed drink than a, than a sipping whiskey. But, uh, you know, the first one I put uh, a splash of ginger ale on, I was like, man, that's too much. I should probably just drink this plain. It, it, it does a great job. That, yep. that bullet. Dude, it's nuts. I'm actually drinking the um, the Redneck Riviera right now. Uh, I will let all of you know the Jim Beam Black is gone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. With or without the bullet? <laughs> With the bullet? Oh, my gosh. The bullet's still in the bottle. I actually got to take it out um, upstairs. But I tell you what, guys, uh, I, I can't emphasize that enough, Joey. Like what you said, it, it's – I'm just being honest with this. It, it's – it is a true change. It, it's yeah. insane. It does bring out that little bit of sweeter notes, and you are not seeing as much of the the bite. It's kind of funny because usually when I drink my whiskey, I put in ice cubes. And, I, and I, if I'm honest, I like to let it melt first because I don't – you know, usually with that, that first – yeah, mm-hmm. with that first drink of whiskey, it's really – it's it has that bite. Um, so I'll let it sit for you know a little bit just to kind of melt and get some of that water in there, and then I drink it. It's perfect. Now I I, I kid you not. I, I just before this episode, I cracked open this bottle of Redneck Riviera, and you know I was going to pour it in my glass, and I'm like, well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna take a sip of it first just from the bottle to see kind of what it tastes like. It was great. I mean, honestly, there's no burn, and it, it I was really actually kind of surprised. I tried this a week ago. And it actually had a little bit more bite than it does right now. And I've noticed the whiskey is actually turned. It's a little bit darker. It's like a more caramel color at this point than um, it, when I got it. It was a little more bright and kind of, you know, almost clear, but not. It was obviously brown, but you, you get what I'm saying. Um, yeah. So it's definitely changed. And I feel like now I want the whiskey stones because I don't I don't want to water it down like this taste right here. I I just want to keep that. But cold, you know, I could really drink it right out of the bottle if I, you know, probably take it out of the fridge. I mean, it's crazy. I I have a bunch of whiskey stones. I never use them because I just don't feel like you get they stay cold long enough. But what I've I've done is the um, I don't know. Maybe we've talked about this before, but that circle that when um, when the little sphere of ice 
But when yeah. you end up popping it off, it ends up looking like the Death Star because there's always like yeah. a dimple in it. Freaking, I love putting those in my whiskey, man, because it just cools that whiskey instantaneously. <laughs> and, you know, it melts off so little at a time. Well, it's <laughs> yeah. funny. I actually, uh, Adrian, for my uh, birthday this year, she got me a, um, uh, like a King Cube, or maybe it was, maybe it was Father's Day. It was last year, probably. Jeez, Louise, I'm mixing up all my dates, but, um, she got me this, uh, the spheres. She got I think me this. You're spheres. allowed to mix up dates, uh, in the time of COVID because everything runs together. <laughs> everything is running together. Yeah. Well, she got me these, uh, the spheres and she got me a King Cube mold. So I've been kind of experimenting. It's a King back Cube. And... I'm, I'm, oh, I'm dude, familiar. the big cube. Like, uh, it's all like a, a two or th- probably three inch cube by three. It's like three inches deep by three inches wide. Oh, and that's ice. I mean, and you got like six of them in a mold. Oh. And I have that and then the six spheres, right? So I've kind of been going like alternating back and forth between the king cube and the sphere. And what I found is like the sphere, um, it's actually kind of nicer in the all whiskey, like in the sense that it breaks up a little bit faster. It, it gets it breaks down in that sense a little bit faster. But um, it, it doesn't take up as much room in your glass. You actually get more whiskey when you use the sphere over the king cube. Like it, because mine's a freaking huge king cube too. But in this sense, I put the king cube in here um, before we started our episode. And at this point, I have finished my one glass of whiskey and I poured another, and I still have a cube in there about the size of the sphere. So, (laughs) I mean, if you're looking for longevity, the king cube is there. You know, that's, that's, yeah. I'll have to give that a try, man. Uh, I need to get – I don't even have the Darth Vader mold, the, the oh, spheres geez. anymore. You know, when you pull them apart, there's always that dimple. It's like a Death Star. Uh, I don't even have those anymore. I got them for free, you know, years ago, you know, back when Amazon used to have some, like, you try it um, and re- leave a review or whatever, and they gave me one of those. That's cool. Yeah. I, I don't know how long ago that was, but it was I, cool. I started out um, – I found – I found these this mold that made them look like hammers, and I thought that was like one of the coolest things ever. I could have a little hammer in my drink, but then you find out that most of the hammer sticks up out of your drink, and you're trying to drink <laughs> it, you know. And I'm like, no, that's not that awkward as hell. Yeah, I'm like, no, I don't like that one. And uh, you know, try these, and it's just it's been pretty cool. I don't think these are, ever should leave my freezer. <laughs> I want them forever. <laughs> But anyways, nice. hey man, we need to get back on. We're we're taking this this tangent. I Dude, this is gonna be just called uh brewing with with uh, distillery or I don't brewing know, with bourbon, brewing whiskey, brewing with bourbon. Brewing bourbon. There, there you go, man. <laughs> hey, Love the alliteration. BWB, there we go. Brewing um, with bourbon. <laughs> but uh, do those those bullets. If you guys get a chance, actually check them out, Joey. Um, you, I know we've been talking about this before, but uh, I think we're gonna do a giveaway soon. And we'll we'll give a little bit more on this in a future podcast. Trust me, we're, we've been kind of putting together all the details, and uh, I think I think we want to do a giveaway for these because they're just they're awesome. And I think if any of you guys, um, you know, would like to try them out, enter in a giveaway. So like I said, we're putting together the details of that. So keep in uh, keep your keep your ear out for for a, a notation of that or de- details on that. But um, you know, what we really wanted to talk about today is uh, kind of something that has been put out in the last few weeks and something that's kind of I've been working in quite a bit recently. And that's the uh, the Autodesk Construction Cloud. Yeah, 
I feel like now's a good time with it out there uh, to clear up some of the the misconceptions about it. You know, there's a lot of changes, what it means. Uh, there's some aggregating of products. There's some new products. There's some revamping of old products. Uh, there's a new platform thing to sit on. Like, there's a, a new, you know, part of it that's included with uh, design software for, you know, there's just so much to it. And I feel like uh, you and I should take a few minutes and, you know, um, go through it, man. Let's break chat it about down. What, Yeah, let's break let's it down, break dude. It down. So, yes. so at, at its core, man, let's talk about what, what, what Autodesk Construction Cloud used to be. So something near and dear to my heart was BIM 360. Uh, BIM 360 comprised of, you know, several modules. The, the main ones were obviously docs because it was the common data environment. Uh, you know, there's a, there's a drink. Every time you see common data, common data environment, we're going to take a drink. <laughs> oh, that's yours. Okay, cool. Uh, all right. So anytime we say that CDE word, um, anytime, you know, at, um, that's what docs is, right? It's, it's that repository that sits on top of, Forge, which is a series of APIs that everybody can push and pull Okay, data. okay, okay, wait. Just because I'm a Harry Potter nerd, can we just like be like the CDE that cannot be named or uh, <laughs> can we can we do that? Yes. <laughs> yes. A, a repository that can't be named. Cannot, I love it, yeah, man. there we go. <laughs> it which cannot be named. Oh man. Perfect. Perfect. Um nerd. all right. <laughs> uh, hashtag David is a nerd and hashtag David is a hippie. Um yes. So, so uh, you know, it's that file repository that can't be named. Uh, that's it's on that series of APIs that make up this platform called Forge. Um, and you remember that we had a gentleman on a few episodes back uh, from Lenovo, um, and he actually had a hand in the Forge platform. And and uh, uh, you know, this is what ten years ago. I think he was involved with that. So it's definitely been in progress for a while, and it's it's um, been revamped numerous times. So with that came like you know, Docs was that that repository, and then off of Docs were several modules. There was one called uh, Model Coordination, which used to be Glue, that sat on its own legacy platform. Um, then there was Build, which again was a, a you know um, an incumbent, a replacement for uh, Field, which again was its predecessor, sat on a disparate platform. Um, but then with that also came our favorite, you know, thing that I ever used, you know, the best thing since sliced bread, design collaboration, um, or, you know, that's yeah, it's like the C4R. greatest. Yeah, it's, it was C4R, you know, essentially they repathed it to work on this uh, docs platform. But that, the, the robustness of the tools, the ability to have the, um, the so not just the, the cloud sharing for Revit, but actually the tools that go into it, the model management tools, you know, being able to upgrade the models, uh, being able to do this whole push-pull workflow. It literally changed the way the platform works, and it was so cool, man. I, I'm, you know, you and I chat about this. We've done a million demos for it. Um, it is, um, the again, the greatest thing since sliced bread. But anyways, those were the core functionalities of the old platform. So the new platform, you get into it, and a lot of it looks the same. It gets to be confusing, but uh, I'll start with, with Docs, right? So Docs. Autodesk at AU announced, hey, we'll be giving away seats of docs with every uh, seat of AEC collections. Well, okay, so anybody that had an, an AEC collection got a seat of docs. Well, anybody that had a standalone seat got an, uh, a seat of AEC collections uh, or got a seat of uh, docs. Uh, people with multi-user seats will get theirs later. There's some you know, stuff they have to work out. But uh, what docs is, is it's not the same docs. It's not, Autodesk docs has not been 360 docs, and that's confusing confusing 
really what it is is it's plan grid because as you know guys autodesk bought plan grid um so what they've done and correct me if i'm wrong is they've repathed everything to work on plan grid and then they've broken up some things so autodesk docs it, the seat that comes with uh aec collections is not bin 360 docs it is more or less a seat of plan grid um that you can you know invite and it's now bring your own license you can uh bring your license to somebody else's OS. yeah bring your own subscription that's what it is because they're not licenses anymore guys they're subscriptions nope. yep uh bring your own service or whatever you want to call it man SaaS. um <laughs> but then you know the bring changes they SaaS. i like it yeah yeah SaaS. uh you're sassy <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is this is when you know people have had too much to drink before oh. recording. But uh, <laughs> I'll talk about model coordination. I'll talk about this new model coordination piece, and then I'll let you go into the the more finite, newer stuff and the the new changes with the build platform. But oh, so yeah. uh, uh, design collaboration, you know, was you know uh, a set price per seat, and all that included was that. But yet it was you know very powerful. But what they did is they actually merged the model coordination team. With the design collaboration team and they they made them the same package so now you have it's no longer bim 360 design now it's called bim 360 collaborate and bim 360 collaborate i'm sorry i said bim 360 it's the abc's baby abc's uh, autodesk bim collaborate and autodesk bim collaborate pro uh, what that means is uh autodesk bim collaborate is like model coordination and it has um, uh, a collaboration component to it um, just not the revit work sharing piece if you want uh, the Revit work sharing piece, you get the pro component. And the good news is uh, for all the people that were Bin 360 Design subscribers, is it's the same price. Bin 360 Design costs the same uh, amount of money that uh, Autodesk Collaborate, uh, Autodesk BIM Collaborate Pro cost. And this is like going to get confusing with these acronyms. Uh, ABC a Pro, bro. Yeah, ABC Pro, man. So <laughs> Bin 360 Design costs the same amount as ABC Pro. Um, we haven't seen a price change there, but you actually gain the advantages of model coordination. And the most exciting part about that for me, though, is I live and die in this product called APL. Like, I love telling people about it. I love getting people excited about it. And I show them how they can leverage a tool called BIM 360 Layout to uh, layout from their, their BIM models in the cloud with their tablet, you know, controlling or their smartphone controlling their total stations or their yep. gps units and it's a cool workflow but model coordination is where you get that seat of layout in fact model coordination included an entitlement uh for anybody that had a uh, uh, bot glue or model coordination they got uh if they bought a 25 pack i believe it was they would get five seats of navisworks and five seats so five seats navisworks manage and five seats of uh layout plus five seats of apl included with their entitlement and uh, according to the faq it's still the same you still get all those ridiculous entitlements and all you have to do is have autodesk bim collaborate uh or autodesk bim collaborate pro to get those entitlements and you get all that stuff so five seats to you know manage um more than eat up quite a bit of that cost of the of the uh of those seats anyways but now you actually get design coordination with it or design collaboration with it so it's like so it's it's almost a no-brainer to get this this tool in fact if you were getting design collaboration no matter what you get it so hey let's leverage this as much as we can it almost forces people to adopt bim and it, that's crazy it's crazy to me yeah. 
Um, so I probably made this even more confusing. So hopefully you'll demystify the the other components of this, man. <laughs> well, I mean, honestly, though, I, I, I like what it's doing because uh, as you kind of stated there, Joe, it's enabling people to utilize those BIM processes, right? And, and coordination uh, and collaboration that, that really should be that's really what BIM's all about, right? I mean, it's yeah. not what it's all about, but it's it's a big part of our process. And um, well, it's the reason why subs and GCs get into BIM. Why the reason why yes. they're willing to invest in BIM is because of the cost savings. It saves you money in the geometry. Yeah, yes. I mean, BIM is more the models. You know, Johan, sorry, buddy, but in this case, <laughs> it's all about the model. It's about the geometry. It it's allowing us to the information, man. Yeah, get through the clash detection, speed up that that uh, coordination aspect so that we're not having to figure it out in the field and have to deal with rework and, and all that sort of stuff. Right. Yeah. You know, now, now the norm is let's coordinate it and then we'll uh, kick out the shot drawings and then we'll fabricate it. Right. If, yep. You know, it's not like, Hey, let's, uh, let's hope for the best. We got it this far and, you know, and let's then, put the shop drawings over the top of each okay. other and hope everything works out. Yeah, exactly, let's let's right? turn on a light below them. No. That's, I mean, that's 80s, 90s. Actually, that was 2000s. I was 2000s, buddy. That yeah. was 2000s. I was like, yeah, I you know, like, I, I had light table when I got in the first two. It was so crazy. And I'm looking at it now like, well, I mean, you know, I can see it. I mean, it, it, it's funny how we transitioned that into newer technology, though. Yeah. Like, you know, shout out to Blue Beam Overlay there, but... It's funny how that kind of works when shout you shout out to BIM 360 overlay there. Oh yeah, Bit, shout out to BIM 360. Sun. Yeah, version control. Version compare. Version compare. That's what it version was. compare. <laughs> and, and yeah, the 2D documents. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. 2D and 3D, man. 2D yeah, and so, 3D. Yeah. And no, dude. The, the 3D comparison, honestly, with a with like a BIM model, is so much different than 2D, just in the sense that you can see, you know. As a window changes, let's say well, the window changes, well, you have a face. It, it it's going to PDFs actually... differently. If I do, oh, yes. if yeah. I do DWGs, it'll do DWGs in a similar standpoint. As, like it uses the same model recognizer yes. for the uh, the 3D component, but when you use PDFs, it's more of the dumbed down functionality, the overlay. The you have the slider to flip the sheets, and then you 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 know it's either red or it's blue or yeah. if it's purple. It's, you know, the same in both, like that sort of stuff. It, it's oh, yeah. not fully telling you what's changed. Well, that was the interesting part to me. Again, we're reaching back to that information of BIM, but the metadata that's coming through with that change, right? Because, I mean, if, if you really think about it, in, in a BIM workflow in, in like Revit, right? Every, every component is mapped in one. <laughs> no, you're good. Every component is kind of mapped in that sense. And as we're drawing out this wall, we know if it's got like brick on the face, if it's got, you know, insulation behind that brick. And then, you know, you, of course, you have your sheathing and, and, and the airspace and all, all that kind of stuff that we need to build our walls. <clears throat> and as you go through design changes, if somebody changes the window size, that changes quite a bit for what this this wall, how that wall has to change. And how many times did that window change a at that point? that you know maybe small amount whether it's a square foot or two of brick and and sheathing and things like that it multiplies it suddenly compounds on itself so to have that metadata and be able to know that as soon as the design model changes is very important and you know we're talking about this earlier but that visibility having that visibility into when that changes right that's very huge now 
I know I've gone down a little bit of a tangent there, but I mean, I really, uh, think I was going to rescue man. Cause I think this all comes back to what we were going to do anyways. All uh, right. Yeah. You're, you're on I, track. I, all right. All right. Cause I'm, I'm like, man, I, I know I'm going right into that, you know, the metadata and the, the information that we can pull from it and, and kind of reaching back to, you know, what we're, we're talking about here with the Autodesk construction cloud and some of the changes that we're seeing and kind of demystifying that, um, Dude, I, 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 first off, I, I really want to say that going from BIM 360 to the Autodesk Construction Cloud for me at first was, um, I was a little nervous and a little frustrated. Like, man, do I really have to go over to something else? Is this really going to talk the way it used to? Um, <clears throat> what's going on with this? And then I started getting into it, and I realized, you know, as you're saying with ABC and ABC Pro. Like that, that really starts changing the game in the sense of you're enabled with collaboration before we even have the Revit Cloud work sharing. So as soon as yeah. you as soon as you get the Revit Cloud work sharing, you're you're you have all of it anyways. But the people who let's say just needed to um, well who needed to create packages and and t and think about what data they're going to consume and explore these different models and create issues things like that, they're going to be enabled with clash detection now. Like automatic clash detection as this model goes up and it, it, it changes that version control, you know, that version updates, um, <laughs> that, that clash detection updates, right? In that sense and creating a whole new list of issues if there are some. Now, I am very excited about the add-in that was brought in for Revit, AutoCAD, and Navisworks in terms of the issues, right? Oh, man, yes. Dude, they brought it right into the design program. Now, I, I might not – I don't know if I can talk about this or not, but whatever. Scott Davis said it on a meeting, so I'm going to go with it. But, dude, so what they're talking about and what they want to do with – and this is in terms of Autodesk. I was on a Revit user group meeting, and – um. What we were watching is Scott. Scott kind of was telling us about, you know, what the, what the collaborate um, and collaborate pro does, and um, <clears throat> where they want to go with these issues, and eventually what what they want to do, and I'm hoping I'm hoping it's soon. But they want to make, you know, how the issues are created in BIM 360 right now, right? And and if for any of you who do not know, I would love for you to take some time and explore the issues in BIM 360 or in the Autodesk Construction Cloud. The issues are awesome and they are very powerful in the sense of it gives us so much more than just creating, you know, a dot on or a markup on a document. This is assigning a root cause, figuring out why this issue is there, and then assigning responsibility for this issue and tracking it as it progresses. Yeah, throughout and the and not just for liability purposes, but also for predictive analytics purposes. Yes. This is feeding yes. into dashboards for metrics, allowing us to push and pull data and actually get insights into future projects. It is a very big part, but also that issues engine is so robust. It's actually the, the engine that creates points for uh, the VIN 360 layout plugin. Layout. You know yes, that? it is. Yeah, it's yes, the XYZ yeah. creator because yes. the issues are, are three-dimensional. That's it's amazing. Yes, 
And for any of you who did not know, with the new version of BIM 360 layout, since it went to Android, it gives you that capability to create those points on your your FC or your tablet, you know, whatever as as Android, right? Um, but whatever you're using in that sense, the mobile version, you can create those points, those issues right there in that model and yeah, send you can it back. Long press your finger and get a point drop down, man. It's pretty Dude, cool. I mean, for existing conditions and as building, that's awesome as well for helping to align the issue, the the point cloud and the model, and really getting that coordinate system, like the the precision, kind of nailed down. And then some of those issues earlier in the process can be addressed, right? And that's another kind of thing I wanted to go into with these issues. So eventually what Autodesk wants to do is uh, right now they're created in, in BIM 360 and, and essentially shared to the design programs. They want to, to enable the design programs to create the issues and send them into BIM 360 through the links. So let's say that a mechanical, we, we're linking our MEP model into our structural model, right? If we see that we have a pipe running through one of our beams or one, one of our you know columns or what have you, we can go ahead and tag that as an issue. And guess what? If you have that model linked in from BIM 360, it would automatically attach that issue to that model and assign responsibility to that team goes into BIM 360 and then back down into the other design team's design application. And guess what, guys? We're starting to get a little less reactive. I mean, yes, I know we are reactive in that sense. You're going to get a notification. But but that really, to me, seems like we're starting to really pick up on that proactive sense in becoming proactive in these issues and not clash detection, but clash prevention, right? And that's really where I want us to go. And I think that this is another thing that's going to be enabled by the construction cloud. Like the farther that we get into connected construction in general, I think that we are really going to see a push to this, you know, hey, you can't put this here because there's a column here. Would you like this design option or this design option? We can go this way or this way. Hey, you know what? Actually, that's a that's a good point. Let me go ahead and choose this way. You know, that alone is going to save us so much time and money. Just enabling a, a, a draftsman with that, you know, a different, a couple different design options and knowing that this is going to be a problem as soon as they're drafting it. Yeah, this, I, this unified issues platform is, in my mind, where we, sh like, where the industry should have been five years ago at a minimum, but now it seems like, you know, it, with, with the new platform, it seems like everybody's diving in wholeheartedly. They're like, oh yeah, duh, we needed this. Yeah. Um, it's like... Yeah, we we why didn't we have this before? It's like one of those ones like, wait, why 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 didn't we have this before? I don't understand. Like this doesn't make sense. Do you remember the old Navisworks uh, Bin 360 glue workflow? Yeah. Where you could create the, shared views and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and the shared yeah. views were not the same as Navisworks yeah. native views, and the the workaround was to to create shared views or have a plugin inside of your Navisworks so that you could see those shared views. So essentially you would go to your save Navisworks views, open each one up, and then as it's open, create a shared view. And you would just go down through all of those to create a damn shared view to duplicate for the glue side. That was just a crazy workflow. But now it's like we're in this unified workflow where the, the data is connected. It's like it – why is, do we have to honestly get speaking on that point we're going back to model coordination you can actually like take all of these different models and you know what guys i'm going to let you in on a, a secret if, if you didn't know for those of you who are power using this 
Um, this isn't going to come as a surprise, but Dave's going to throw down some tips and tricks here real quick, right? With the design collaboration portion and, and enabling model coordination in that space, right? Start to think about that consume, the publish and consume workflow in the sense of everyone that you're working with, when they publish that model and you consume it, it goes into your team space, right? Typically into your team space in that consumed folder. Well, where can you set up your coordination space? Your team folder, that's your coordination space. Every model that you consume after that is automatically clash detected and it's gonna be brought into your Revit model and updated in that sense, right? So in we're, we're, we're keeping coordination, but you're also going into that, I mean, well, collaboration in that sense, you're, you're keeping that collaboration, but you're also enabling that coordination in the sense of as soon as, as you update that model, as soon as you consume that package, it's already giving you that clash detection, okay? And we can create those models. So going back to Joey's point there, the, the shared views, you can actually take, like, let's say every model that you consume from that design collaboration timeline, you can bring together in model coordination to create an overall project view, okay? Or if you want to have focused views for your different contractors. So this is how we can start sharing this information. And again, going back to the visibility, you know, point at the beginning of the episode here, but making sure that this information is visible for all of your stakeholders, whoever needs it. I'm creating shared views for my owners. I'm creating dashboards for my owners or executives. I'm creating different dashboards for different stakeholders and, and dashboards or views for my project managers or my project engineers, you know, or my fabrication personnel. Whoever needs access to this data, I can create these views and share that specific information to them. And that's a very big part of our process, right? Because in, in, in the time of of data and information, guess what? You you hand an owner a Revit model, and let's say that it is just strapped with LOD 400, LOD 450, 500, whatever you want to call it, and every you know piece of equipment in that model has all of the warranty information. You know it has everything in it. And you have a huge project browser, you know, full of full of different views and sheets and warranty information. What is that owner going to feel but overwhelmed? Do they know how to navigate this? Do they know how to get to what data they need? Most of the time, no. So we find that simplifying it, just kind of filtering that data, right? And and, and going back to the design collaboration publishing right? Publishing those packages of information in Revit that's your published settings. So you're kind of going in between that and figuring out what data you want to share. But this kind of ties into this model coordination as well. And, and, and in all of the visibility of, of the Autodesk Construction Cloud, the connection to, to, to make these decisions in the sense of we can filter this BIM data or, you know, SIM data, whatever it is that we're taking in here. We can bring this together and start filtering this to really enable whoever it is to make better decisions, but also to not be overwhelmed, yeah. right? That's that, that's a big that key comes guys to like the, think UI, about. the UI and stuff like that. Like there's got to be a platform or something that uh, – or a handover process that makes it easy to consume for somebody. I, I think, you know, what I see is like, you know, hey, give them a web portal – whether you're giving them BIM 360, address construction cloud, whatever, or 
maybe it's an iframe on your website that you know is a portal they log into and they can flip it and spin it and get the information they need, whatever it is. But it has to be something consumable. Did you, um, did you by any chance get get to read the? There's an article that was put out. The um, National National Institute of Building Sciences uh, helped uh, get a group of you know like top uh, software and um, G, you know GCs and MP contractors. Uh, Autodesk was in there, a bunch of other people, right? Um, together to help discuss or to, to help move the needle for a national BIM standard. Um, you know, the Army Corps of Engineers, awesome. a whole bunch of people. Like, you know, and I don't know if anything will ever come out of it because everybody has such, you know, um, different ideas on BIM, BIM needs, BIM standards. But like, it, it's just moving the um, the needle just a little bit, right? We're getting closer. We're talking about it more you know, um, all that sort of stuff. But, but when that happens, you know, what, what are we going to do? Like, you know, you could teach everybody in the country how to use Revit. Um, but Revit only does one thing for it, right? I mean, you could trick it to do other things, but the owner's not going to use Revit, at least not for their FM system. The, uh, installers aren't going to get into Revit to get their information. I I don't know if I can say it or not. Let me, let me look it up here. Google search on that. Well, I mean, I'm talking about ops in a sense, right? BIM 360, back in the day, we had ops. And, you know, we were like, oh, this is great. We're going to really start pushing towards an FM system. It's not perfect yet, but we're getting there. And then ops dropped off and everybody's like, well, what happened? You know, then, you know, with the the new BIM 360 and with Autodesk Construction Cloud, we're seeing asset tracking. So we're seeing a lot of that starting to come in to uh, BIM 360 and the Autodesk Construction Cloud. Are you talking about Tandem? I'm talking about Tandem, dude. Oh, That's yeah, exactly yeah. what There's I'm There's a whole about. Autodesk presentation on it. Oh, man. You I can talk so about it. I'm excited to talk about that, dude. So Autodesk Tandem is, is really where I see that, that acquisition, right? It, it, that's really where I see us starting to bring together this, you know, Construction Cloud and the like the digital twin, right? Because we talk so much about that. And, you know, a lot of times we think of it as a point cloud. This is the digital twin. Nah, the digital twin, I mean, in a sense, should really be a recreation, a recreation of everything that is in that building as it exists right now. And you and and I have talked about this uh, in the past where like digital twin, where we feel that term gets left off because people think about it as laser scanning, but then they don't do anything with their laser scan. Yeah, bring it into Edgewise. You know, get get some 3D model out of it and plug some parameters and attributes exactly, and all that stuff dude, in it. Exactly, dude. It's back to the information. And, what information and make it out of a point yeah, cloud? And make it an as-built model. Because otherwise, what am I looking at? Just a point cloud that I can push and pull into meshes? Like, let's get some real data from this and, and do something, whether it's you know, high, you know, high density scans for like a Matterport or or maybe we are going to Edgewise. Uh, or maybe we're, you know, taking you know, a scan we're going over and we're modeling it. We're going to, yeah, you know, very, you know, yeah. What, yeah, we're what, doing what, verification what, against geometry, but at the end of the day, like that, that can help an owner to a degree, but it's not going to help an owner understand and, and yeah. keep track of everything that they have in their building. It's they not. They click a point. It's not going to tell them what that point is part of. It doesn't tell them that that point is part of a pipe. It doesn't give them the the inflow and outflow of that pipe. It doesn't give them the sizing, the diameter. It doesn't give them the slope. Doesn't give any of that information. How does that help the owner point. train his maintenance, t- their yeah. maintenance teams, or you know, their their process yeah. engineers, and or anything like that? It doesn't. It doesn't. 
not shitting on scanning because you and I love it. No, we talk about it all we the time. Scanning. We're, scan, love, we're scan experts, man. We love this thing. Hey, you were just on the scan to bam uh, university thing. Uh, just saying, I, I feel the term digital twin gets lost when we talk about it in the sense of just, oh yeah, I, I'm a, you know, I got a digital twin. I got a scan. Well, you might have the potential for a digital twin, but it is not a digital twin. What you have is point cloud of your building that you haven't done anything with yet. Let's make it a digital yeah. twin. Let's get yeah. to the next what step. What is that? Maybe we need to change the uh, the acronym to like Siamese twin, digital <laughs> Siamese twin, just digital twin. Because well, then we know it's exactly the same I, or, it's, I or it has its differences. No, no, I don't want to call it a digital twin. Do you remember <laughs> the version movie back in the day with Michael Keaton called Multiplicity? Yeah. And every time he cloned cool. himself, the, he got stupider. Yeah. Um, yep. And I feel like maybe when we talk about a scan as part of the digital twin, and I'm not saying the scan is stupid, I'm just saying it hasn't uh, developed. It, the potential yes. is there, but it hasn't developed into a digital twin. So maybe that's like the the you know the the sixth copy, the sixth clone, right? Um, of the of the you know the tangible object where you know, it, it looks like it has the data, but there's, you know, it, lo it looks the same. Like if you turn on the, the, the color of the point cloud and you visualize it just Depending the on right way, the, you know, the scans, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yes. Yeah. And the, the density that they use yeah. and everything like that. But yes, I mean, honestly, yeah. But at the same time, as you're saying, can, can you run an analysis on that? If you're going to do an addition to figure out if your current system can handle the new equipment that you're going to put on it? No, you cannot. Yeah. You know, can so, yeah, can you take sections through it and get your floor plans and do measurements and things? Yes, yes, you can. And can you also start doing layout and start designing from it? Yes, but in the same sense, it, it does not give you the yeah, analytics the, and some of that data that you really could use yeah. from a model. So again, this goes back to Johan Tuckler. BIM is more than models. It is. Um, BIM is more than the the sum of all geometry, whether that's even point clouds. So it's the data that we attribute to it. So now if we convert that point cloud into a model or we put some kind of bounding boxes and attributes to those points uh, where we associate them in a certain, certain way, the technology is there. We're already doing it with different different pieces and different tools out there. Then I do believe uh, it becomes a, 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 a digital twin. It's just that a point cloud in its you know own right, it looks like the model it has you know some components but at the same time the data is gone you might as well have just uh, stripped out all the data about a 3d model and handed it to somebody that said that point cloud is more accurate than any model you're gonna you know than than the architect or any designer is going to get you and that's why it's powerful so yes you know it does have its place it, it you know it helps us realize that hey you know these columns on this ti project are in the wrong spot you know, hand to God, that's a true story. Um, you know, like there, there's a lot of lot of benefits to it, but you know, we got to figure out that next yep. step. How do we actually get fabrication it? shop cut the, yeah. the beams too long? And <laughs> think, no, you're bowing out your columns. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And and that's where it that's where, yeah, that's where the point clouds are very uh, handy. But how, you know, maybe that isn't there. Maybe that's some something that you and I will work on in the background. Like, well, how do we automatically turn this into our damn damn model and, and you know make it align and, and all that stuff i mean the technology is there with edgewise and verity but i feel like uh um nah, dude, we're, we're finding a way to put the aspects well yeah but we're seeing more of a push of the the mobile scanners and automatic you know geometry creation from the, the issue, scans 
The and issue with mobile scanners, though, is that they're, they, not accurate. they're not accurate. They are nowhere near as accurate enough at getting the, the data that we need. And um, so if I was going to scan something and then I wanted to convert that into a model, say automatically, right? We use uh, Edgewise or some other yeah, technology. Like yeah, well, I think Kurt Egley there coined that term. Um, uh, automatically, right? So it's going to convert this scan into uh, known elements. Um, it actually has to be a quality scan to be able to get the full depth of that information. Otherwise, it's going to be creating geometry in a garbage format. This is why we really need good quality scan data. And you are living this this week, I know, man. So yep. uh, <laughs> it's an important point for us to drive home. And I know I'm way off topic for, for this uh, ABCs of BIM. Uh, but at the same time, you know, we're talking about, you know, the connected construction, the connected cloud, right? And in this sense, um, you know, we've kind of gone back and forth between visualization and talking about some of the issues and communication in that sense, right? But I mean, that's that's another key portion of us as humans, but also as in our industry and in a construction process is communication. And being able to interpret the data that we have, that's a problem that we've had for a lot of years now in terms of connecting the different softwares, connecting the different platforms to get the data to work right. Otherwise, we have to spend time reworking and recreating things. And you know what? Honestly, this has become the norm. I have seen this so many times that even contractors that I know that I'm friends with get upset because they know they just know that they're going to do rework and they're not upset about that. They're more upset about like like the fact that I'm trying to, to upset that. They're like, no, we need to do this because that's how it works. Like we get the model, they over design it and, you know, it's not where we need it to be. We want a dumbed down version of this so we can go ahead and start doing our stuff here because, you know, none of this information that they put in is actually valuable to us. I, I just had an epiphany and I wanted to backtrack for a second, man. Yeah. Um, what you said was, you know, spot on. But I, I think I just got the digital twin, and now I feel like an idiot for harping on it. Um, a twin doesn't know everything the other twin does, so maybe digital twin is the best term for it. And now I feel like an idiot because visually, again, they look the same, but one has a different set of data than the other one. Damn it! We I've been think I've been looking at digital twin all wrong. Digital twin might be the well, right. Well, that's time. why I said that's Shit. why I said we might need to use Siamese twin. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Twin, because Siamese are exactly the same, whereas a digital twin can have some differences. Yeah. You know, what I mean, the regular twins they can be different. Well, there's uh there's fraternal and then there's identical. So these are they're oh, fraternal twins. Is. Damn it. That's what the term is. Siamese twins sorry. is whether connected at the hip, man. <laughs> Man, what am I talking about on my second class? Of we are not politically correct, guys. We are so not far off base here. Oh, my gosh. Uh, don't put us on statistics or words or conversation <laughs> or ideas or anything else you hear out of our mouths. Um, but, yeah, okay, man. Well, then uh, uh, magically erase my uh, digital twin ranch because I think that's fitting now. I learned like, something. I, I learned something as well. I learned something as well. That's the goal every day. Learn something. But anyways, whiskey is delicious. Man. It is. I, I think that in general, us pushing towards the like the connected construction is very huge. 
And again, um, going back to like the ABC and the ABC Pro, we're starting to enable model coordination and again, reacting to this process and, and issues that we've typically seen earlier, right? Enabling us and others to make better decisions moving forward. And really, I think that's important. That, I mean, it's so important. We, we, we all know that, you know, making better decisions, having the data to make those decisions um, when you need it, right? But yeah. also, if I'm honest, you don't know what you don't know. So a lot of people out there don't don't know that this data is there or that they can do this. And I think Autodesk kind of putting it out there at the same price and, and everything for design collaboration is going to help push that. Now, one big thing I did want to go into, uh, like one uh, thing I've seen that I really do appreciate about the, the Autodesk Construction Cloud is the fact that they've made the interface easier to navigate in the sense of, you know, in BIM 360, if I wanted to set up a design team, I'd have to go to the design, the project admin. Then I'd have to find design collaboration on the lower left-hand side. Then I'd have to, then, then I found my design team window. Now a project admin in the sense of a project administrator just sets the normal settings and, you know, brings in the members and, you know, sets what services they can utilize and help sets permissions and things like that. But the project administrator doesn't have to go through and start creating. I mean, they can, they can create these design teams, but it's in this sense, what I'm trying to say here is it's actually out in the open. It's not hidden through a couple oh, of yeah. picks and clicks. It's yeah, out. In the, open. the Rubik's cube is gone guys. Or, yeah. or what do people call it? The hamburger and the yeah. waffle. And waffle. The waffle. The waffle. I, had so many I, names, I like the man. waffle, but it's gone. Yeah. There's yeah. a drop down now. But essentially, I mean, they're they're starting to make it again. They're they're, they're customizing it, right? And I mean, that is really what we want. We yeah, want it to improve. Yeah, we don't want a product that's stagnant. And when you realize it's too difficult for a lot of people to navigate, I mean, look at what Bluebeam did in 2018. Now, in all honesty, we know what happened with Bluebeam review in 2018, and it did not get better until 0. 0.6 to 2019. Um, just because of how everything that happened with the sandbox environment. I hated the interface change. It pissed uh, me dude, off. Dude, I love it. I, was a, I hated I it. Can, but, well, I, I mean, now I know what I'm doing, but I considered myself a pro. I was like, I got this. I know where this button is. And I had this, <laughs> this. And now I'm like, well, it's not letting me do anything. It's, oh, you're in, uh, what is it? Like you're in um, can't edit mode or some shit yeah, like that. Mode. You're in view mode, not markup mode. I'm like, what, what the hell is this? <laughs> no, dude, it's, but you're seeing more and more of it in the sense of these softwares are changing and you're seeing the updates, be, you know, become more frequent, especially with Revit, AutoCAD, you know, a lot of those different programs. Now, not as much now. They're trying not to push those out as much, but yeah, they're with, more mature. I mean, like BIM 360, it, it, it's evolving. Right. It keeps evolving. And we'd see that even the older version of BIM 360, they just push out updates. And then next thing you know, there's a new window that pops up and you're like, oh, hey, all right, I, I learned this. I remember mastering and I'm going to say mastering because I consider myself an expert still. BIM 360 field, BIM 360 glue and BIM 360 plan. And I felt I thought I was the bees freaking knees, man. And then like you know, three years after knowing that, and I knew Autodesk was working on Projects Alexandria and and all this other stuff in the background. And I knew BIM 360 Next Gen was coming, but it was in pieces. And then finally they got design collaboration on it. They got finally, you know, rolled out pieces of model coordination. 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is great. And I, you know, I finally learned all that stuff. And I know a lot of people are probably in the same boat as me where they're like, oh, another change to BIM 360. But I promise you with each change, I think it's gotten better. Not so much at first between field and um, project uh, management and field management. Yeah, build the build from field because I feel like I had more power in field. But that said, you know, over time, I felt like, you know, they expanded it enough. Uh, I would still find myself going to field classic to download uh, the templates because there was a whole yep. bunch of checklists that were already pre-created. I would just go yep. in there and get those templates, download them and re-import them to BIM 360 build the new version. Yep. And like, shit, man, why am I going to recreate the wheel? It's already there. Yep. Uh, but then, then, you know, slowly you start to see it get better. I think right out the gate though, uh, them launching a new product on, on the new platform, the ACC, the Autodesk uh, construction cloud, um, repackaging model coordination and design together and then re-rolling out um, build on a new platform right out the gate. They didn't they didn't like have to ramp themselves up to be better than the predecessor. I think they're coming out swinging better on, on a better platform. Oh, dude, yeah. I mean, uh, so for any of you though who didn't know, uh, obviously they brought Plan Grid and a lot of Plan Grid features into BIM 360. This is where you're seeing well, the merging of it. Well, what they did is they moved everything on top of Plan Grid. It uses yeah. the the bring your own subscription model of plan grid it yep. uses the um the let's ocr everything so that yep. you can search uses through the rfi anything. engine uses oh my gosh little engine yeah and you're still seeing the bim 360 issues which is a powerful thing already yep. but they're they're bringing the best of both worlds in this sense and it's got a lot of power behind it now we did see a change in the terms of publishing sheets um so in docs you know we used to see uh, in document management, you used to see plan files and project files. Well, now you see project files and then you see for the field. So you know specifically if you're going to push documents to the field, you're going to publish them into that field and then send it over to BIM 360 build where they can start. You Autodesk, know, build. Autodesk build. I'm sorry. <laughs> Autodesk. Dude, Good Lord. Yeah, we're, we're going to butcher this the whole this. episode. Yeah. For at least six months, probably. and No, maybe not. Maybe like two months. and then I'm going to keep saying ABCs, though, because it's so ABCs. much easier than saying Autodesk Builds uh, or Autodesk BIM Cloud. I can't even say it. Yeah. ABC, ABC Pro, and then ACC, man. That's all you got to remember. No BIM 360. ACC. Yeah. And, and what Autodesk did here is pretty unique. So they actually, from what I've been told, is uh, Autodesk Construction Solutions is actually a subsidiary. It's like its own company in Autodesk. Like yeah. it's completely separate. It's interesting. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, underneath there's uh, the building connected. It's the assemble team. It's plan grid. Plan it's grid. 360. They, they roped them all together. So now we're going to start seeing these, these amazing packages um, and, and, you know, being able to leverage stuff. Cause you and I know yeah, about tandem. We know about Autodesk assets. We, we know, know about, about take like, off or quantify. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's the I next. Mean, that's what we got to talk about next, right? We gotta that's talk about, another thing we got to talk yeah. about is that quanti- quantifier takeoff, man. I mean, it's it's you see it keep going, man. Honestly, they're bringing in more of the features from Assemble, and they're giving us the 2D or 3D takeoff capability and creating takeoff groups or takeoff packages, right? And, and we're seeing so much of this capability going in there. Um, it's exciting to see that it's that it's heading that way and and to yeah. see where it's going. I mean. It was it was I don't know, man, you're you're either doing takeoffs on a 2D PDF or or you're doing takeoffs on like a 3D model. Right. And and we know kind of 
where the strengths and weaknesses are of each. And to see it kind of coming together and like to see the powers of assemble and the powers of plan grid in this sense and and the powers of BIM 360 kind of all that be as these PDFs are pushed up, if that's the case, okay, cool. You can still do takeoffs from them. Or as this 3D model or this 2D model is updated, we can start bringing this data together to start making our takeoffs and make these better decisions and make the better bids, let's say. I've always thought that Autodesk needed their own QTO tools since they retired QTO, what, like, you know, five years ago or whatever long, 10 years ago, I don't even know. They retired the QTO component and essentially you just had to use Navisworks um, to get by. Um, you know, I think there's a QTO tool in Civil 3D if I remember correctly, but again, nothing was as robust as the old QTO tool, that the standalone tool that they had. Um, that said, you know, I've been, I've been on that track. Okay, well, we do quantity takeoff in Bluebeam. We've got on-screen takeoff. There's a number of solutions out there but why isn't Autodesk jumping on this? Because they own the design data. Whether it came, whether it's a PDF, it still was design data at one point in time. So they still own that data. Like this should be a tool that that was no brainer. Exactly. And then they required it to assemble. It was a bit fuzzy on where that was going. They built a hook into BIM 360, but yet it wasn't fully on BIM you 360. You still had to publish it. It was it was completely yeah. siloed in the same yeah. sense. Yeah. And and then you see companies like JE Dunn come out with their own thing where they have. The model viewer, the large model viewer from BIM 360 using four JPIs tie into their lens estimation system so that no matter what, when something got updated, it automatically updated their database. Like if they've got estimation figured out, why the hell can't we figure it out with the other stuff? And now we're seeing this like the, the, the aha moment happened, the light went off and they've got a great tool out now, man. I've only played with it, you know, very briefly, but I'm. I'm blown away. I'm, you know, it's that uh, that Autodesk construction cloud environment, something I'm familiar with. It's something I like. Um, yeah, and you're starting to see a lot of, like I said, those different features come over, man. So building connected, I was looking at it, you know, with the Autodesk construction cloud and building connected is almost like a social media kind of network yeah. for contractors, right? Well, did you notice that uh, if you sign into your Autodesk, uh, construction cloud account, it even asks if you've already signed in, you've already got it now. Yeah. Now they're making you re like create and add more information to it. I think it's going to yeah, populate dude. that building connected data. It is. It is. That's it, dude. That's Was what that what you're going to say? Did I steal your thunder, yes. man? Oh, oh shit, I'm sorry. It's okay. No, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. I'll let you have it. But yeah, dude. So that's exactly what's it. When you start looking at adding different members and stuff, you look at this card that comes out. And there's a picture. There's like the mobile number, email. You're starting to see that building connected information kind of populate, and we're starting to see more of that database come in, which I'm I'm, I'm excited about as well because if we can combine that with, you know, the field portion of knowing who's on site and who's doing what and how to get rid, you know, a hand. Uh, a handle but how to get a hold of them essentially like yeah, in the sense of sending out emails yeah the contact information of emails phone numbers what have you like i know this person is in charge like this person has this responsibility and this is their contact information i can assign this to them and they can go ahead and get a hold of me if they have any questions and it just connects it all in one platform i really like that because it's so much easier for me to have some, you know, so much easier to have somebody else populate their data than for me to put their information in there. Exactly. So if everybody, every user essentially putting the information in there and we're on a project together, if, you know, assuming you've put your information in there, it's accurate. Shit, I can get a hold of you, man. Or I can exactly. send you an email and say, hey, put your damn freaking number in here so I can call you, dude. Yeah. Uh, right. Update you your, tell me their phone profile. numbers. And I'm like, unless I put it in or you call me, I'm not going to remember. Yeah. I'm not going to remember what that number is. 
Exactly. Dude, I I only know my wife's number because it's one number off mine. I don't know anybody else's number by heart. It has to be in my phone or in some kind of system that I'm I'm pulling the information from. It's crazy how we've yep. gotten to this point. You used to know three phone numbers. You knew your mom, uh, the girl that you were crushing on that week, <laughs> and your best friend's number, man. I don't I can't I don't know anybody's. Nope, it's all in the phone. That's yeah. it. Dude, I've realized that's that's the same thing for birthdays anymore. Like oh, not shit, my kids, dude. but like my outfit, oh. my like my sister's kids and stuff. I have to put their birthdays in my phone because if not, I will completely forget all of that stuff. I've we'll started doing the same it. thing, man. I have to. It, just shit, dude. We're old, damn it. We're <laughs> early to mid thirties. Thirties. Oh, good lord. I think I'm gonna be thirty seven this year if I remember correctly. I don't can't oh, even man, know how many. 33. No. Wait, no. Am I 33? No, I'm 32. 89. Good Lord. I do not know. You're the same age as my wife, man. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? 2021. Yeah. Yeah. So 32. Yeah. 32. 32, man. Shit. Dude. I'm. You know what it is? You have, you have more kids than me. So you've aged twice as fast. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I (laughs) years in the army so that there's just i i have like bad knees bad shoulders bad hips bad back you know typical army grunt side effects there you yeah. go oh man i did have a good conversation with chris uh you know after that call that after our last week's episode about army life man it was interesting to learn that you guys both served in the same uh, uh not the same regiment but the same uh, mos yep same job he's a combat engineer Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah so he's very he's equally cool. as uh uh as broken as you, I'm sure. Yeah, it's well, it's funny because you start talking to other combat engineers most of the time, and you're like, oh man, you got you got bad shoulders, you got knee problems, you got elbow problems, you got you got shoulder problems, you got back problems. It's funny. I mean, but I mean, it is what it is. It's just part of the job. Yeah. But you know, it was funny thinking about it now when especially when you when you have conversation with other people who have done this job especially going over to Afghanistan or Iraq doing route clearance dude I, I just <laughs> I just googled like the 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 you know what a combat engineer is and and I just want for for people that don't know combat engineer you'll work quickly and skillfully to help soldiers navigate while on combat missions by constructing bridges clearing barriers with explosives, detecting and avoiding mines and other environmental hazards. That's your job description, damn it. Like, yeah, so <laughs> you're going to be broken, dude. You're going to be it, broken. Yeah, exactly. So the recruiter said to me, you're like a uh, uh, a demolitions expert and you get to shoot stuff. You get to blow stuff up, you oh. get to kick in doors. Typical like, recruiter, comp- man. Oh yeah, I mean, I have no I have no ill feelings. Like honestly, I have no ill feelings, but yeah, that's what he told me. Now yeah. It's funny because I had like this GT score of like a 111 and it was a pretty good score. I could have pretty much done whatever I wanted, but this recruiter just told me like, Hey man, you get to, as a combat engineer. That's what we need. The army needs right now. They're like, uh, you get to kick in doors and blow stuff up. Now, honestly, I learned a lot of cool stuff, right? I, I mean, I was a, uh, I was a army explosives. What was it? An Explo- engineer explosive ordnance clearing agent eoca yeah eoca explosive ordnance clearing agent so it, at one point it was my job to 
literally go in to look at unexploded ordnance or bombs that we found. I mean, when we were doing route clearance, we would find a lot of like HME jugs or whatever, and you'd have to check it out and see kind of what it was, what filler it had, like what the what the um, there's usually a line running away from it that's giving it power or, you know, something like that with a pressure plate. Typically, it would be like two things of wood and some copper wire and some springs or something like that going to a battery. I probably shouldn't be talking about all this right over the Internet. But (laughs) yeah, typically you'd need some kind of way to set the circuit and then to go through and and complete it. So when you put so much pressure on the plate, you know, it connects the wires together, completes the circuit and sets off the explosives like the the agent that they would have in jugs or whatever it was or like mortar rounds, pineapple grenades or, you know, whatever it was. I, I had to learn how to identify all of that stuff, the timers that it had and everything. It was very cool. Like it was it was a lot of cool stuff to learn, you know, and we did route clearance and uh yeah, I mean, it was just that's that was your job. Now, dude, check it out. In basic training, what I did in basic training was they give you a poker, like a freaking poker, and you got to stick it into the ground. That's your job as a combat engineer was to stick it into the ground and find landmines. And when you do something solid, you got to do the like the two finger method, which with each hand and just kind of brush away. The dirt, because obviously you don't want to put too much pressure on it, especially if it's an if it's an old landmine, you know, it could be very easily set off, which I have a very funny story about a landmine in Afghanis, by the way, that I'll have to tell you kind of offline. It was one of the funniest things I think I've ever seen. Uh, Nobody died. Nobody died. Nobody got even hurt. But it was it was very funny. Uh, Yeah, I'll tell you. But anyways, so. my job was to like you're two fingering this freaking landmines that you have to dig out of the dirt. Now, I'm gonna tell you, in Afghanistan, the landmines a lot of times are they were they were left by uh, the Russians when they when they evacuated when they got when they left of Afghanistan, they just dumped a bunch of landmines and stuff, and um, you you really don't know where they are. You just kind of find them sometimes and sometimes it's an unexploded ordinance a mortar around that went off sometimes it's it is like hme jugs homemade explosives you know these plastic like jugs that look like our our fuel jugs or water jugs the five gallon type of thing that they fill up with stuff it it, crazy but anyways um it it just it it gave me a different perspective you know and uh it was it's kind of cool to talk to different people who were involved in that in different areas or even in the same areas in different times in Afghanistan. It's very cool to kind of connect with people like that. So talking to Chris was uh, definitely a treat, not even just with the BIM portion, but you know, in, in, in life in general, it was, it was a uh, very cool to, to talk to him. Yeah, man. And he's on his own mission. That's, uh, you know, kind of revolutionizing BIM and making it uh, more, um, uh, accessible, I guess, for everybody. So, I mean, it's yeah. kind of a cool thing. Well, I mean, uh, you know, when we start talking about digital twins, that kind of ties back to it. Yeah. I mean, I know we've been going on this episode forever, guys. I apologize. But nah, when we talk about good, digital twins and putting but, that information in, that's it, really what it's all about. How you can. You know, you know what, though? We, we captured what we wanted to talk about because we want to talk about the Autodesk Construction Cloud and help demystify it a little bit. Uh, again, you know, um, there's a lot of changes, so and we we talked about all that stuff, but but just put it in simpler terms here, Autodesk Construction Cloud, 
replacing BIM 360. So when you start hearing about ABC, Autodesk BIM Collaborate and ABC Pro, Autodesk BIM Collaborate Pro, you know, just just be cognizant, guys, that this is model coordination and design collaboration. So tools that are already out there kind of brought together um, to, to, as David gave us some awesome tips and tricks here, to kind of like really round out what you're doing with your designs and get this automated yeah. clash detection. And yeah, dude, I mean, honestly, if you guys are already a lot of people are already linking these different models into each other to to try and design you know if you can use that with the clash detection and the coordination in that sense why not yep. if it's already creating an issue and, and can tag you right in the design model and you're like oh i can go right to this element i don't really have to search for the id anymore you know before you'd have to try i mean in bim 360 the process a lot of times was to copy the ID number, put it into the description. So when you get into Revit, you could actually could look it up. That. Yeah. yeah, you could search for it and find it. Well, now it's actually in Revit or it's in AutoCAD. So when you open up that, you click on that issue, it takes you right to it in the model. You know exactly where it is. You're okay. And, you can make a better decision moving forward. And you know the the unified issues platform that you mentioned. Yeah, how it's coming. We're going to be able to create issues. Like that's going to make us um, – this is all going to tie together in such a more robust format. Today, there is still a unified platform without that where we can see our issues. We can make changes to the issues, but they do get created in BIM 360. The statuses and information just gets updated inside of Revit. Eventually, though, we'll be able to create them inside of Revit and, and really drive this thing home. So yeah. uh, just a quick recap here, guys. Autodesk uh, Docs is not the same as BIM 360 Docs. You can still buy BIM 360 Docs by itself for now. Eventually, we imagine this will be replaced by Autodesk Docs, but you know that's not been said. So Autodesk Docs is essentially plan grid. It comes with AEC collections, uh, allows you guys to push and pull data, share it in a robust file, you know, common data environment. Let me drink. I was gonna, yeah, there you go. Drink it, drink it. Um, I was gonna say though, um, at this point, I don't, I don't know why you would buy BIM 360 Docs over. Oh my gosh. BIM 360 Docs has more functionality. It's so robust. The yeah, model well, compare, it, the version capabilities, the um, the the issue tracking engine, all that stuff is in uh, like some of it's in Autodesk Docs, but it, the feature parity is not there yet. I guess that's why it's still a standalone. Like you can still buy it until there's full feature parity. I imagine right. you'll still be able okay. to buy BIM You're completely docs. right there. Okay, and, thank you. And for another that. reason why you can buy BIM 360 Docs today. Um, is because you can still run projects and projects are still running on BIM 360 docs. So Which, it was, yes, remember, okay. remember how C4R was going away, but you could still buy teams, but we knew C4R was going away and then eventually they stopped selling. Um, yeah, we're uh, seeing the same the thing. Teams. It's kind of phasing out. Yeah. We still want yeah, those projects to finish yeah. and, and what they need, you still be, be able to support them. But exactly. Forward, and we this, want to give everyone the capability to move to the ACC. And, and, and ACC is so new, it's, you know, the projects yep. yeah, we're not haven't really started yet. Project so. migration yet either. Yep. So, yeah. Exactly. So so for, for our listeners, guys, uh, ABC oh. uh, and ABC Pro can be launched in either BIM 360 or the Autodesk Construction oh. Cloud. We'll call it Plan Grid. Sorry, yeah. Dave. Yeah, I want to, I do want to kind of, uh, I, I forgot about that. I really want to make sure I touch on this because as you guys will notice, BIM 360 and ACC are separate. You're going to go to like you different know, docs. platforms. Yep. They're different platforms, docs. You know, B360.docs. Or ACC. Now, in this you sense, you can get to either location from. 
Yes, from, you uh, can. You yeah. can get to it from your docs from BIM 360. Um, you can actually get to your different projects. That's the actually kind of fun part at this point you, is when you go to the account admin. Yeah, yeah, you'll see. Yeah, if you, exactly. If you, it's like a little globe symbol, like the ACC um, logo at this point. It looks like a globe with lines yeah. running through it. And then in the old BIM 360, you see the B. So we will actually see the difference between what projects are pushing forward. And we can still utilize the BIM 360 projects now, which is actually really huge. Um, I know there's there's probably going to be a migration tool at some point, but at the same they, time they, they've announced it. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna come. yeah it's gonna happen. But but right now we we still have the capability to use the BIM 360, and we have the capability to push forward to ACC. We're not seeing a lot of difference in terms of you know the the functionality other than of course the plan grid features being brought into um the acc which does bring a lot towards that rfi engine the submittals the checklist the, yeah. the templates that we have the docs of forms that we can bring in the responsibility and tasks and things like that that we can assign the schedules that we're going to start to see come in and a lot of that type of stuff like all the meetings things like that are starting to be brought in in terms of coordination you know the abc pro and, and when you get builds you're starting to see the um the the well the meetings tracking the meetings the meeting minutes and yeah assign do their project so costs they consolidated all like yes. it used to be separate modules you would buy and they were add-on modules but now it's just like look we'll give you autodesk build and it comes with you know the pm tools the the, the field tools, the the project cost, and more tools coming soon, right? And they're all part of it, like this this package, which makes so much sense. And they're yeah. built on the robust uh, plan grid package. So um, plan grid, ACC, like that's one platform. BIM 360, Legacy, that's another platform. Um, and, and when you're setting up your accounts, um, it's kind of like when we set up the old accounts with like glue, like you could choose how you wanted to set them up. Like, did you want glue or did you want model coordination? Well, we can do the similar thing. We can choose if we want to set up our projects on ACC or BIM 360. Um, you can still set up projects in BIM 360, nothing stopping you. Um, so, you know, keep keep that in mind. And for all of our design users, right, you were using design, you might have noticed some new entitlements pop up. Uh, model coordination is now there. All you got to do is toggle it on and you can do this staying in your legacy BIM 360 project without having to move uh, migrate data to ACC, and you'll still be able to use model coordination at no cost with BIM 360. Uh, design, BIM 360 design and model coordination yep. together. Pretty cool, man. I'm excited. It is. I'm excited too because really, you know, one person asked me, it was funny, during that meeting, they're like, why do, why do we need model coordination? Why is that another feature that you're throwing at somebody to try and because do Because it's the, the number job? one the reason why people use BIM is for coordination. Exactly, dude. Well, I mean, it, it's another part of the BIM process. Well, we no. want you to use it. So, it's so very important. We, we had this long talk with David Corticus in the past and, and others. We were talking about uh, connected BIM and what it really means. You need a unified platform. I got unified in my head now. I just have to read that Autodesk stuff <laughs> up, the unified issues. You need a connected issue or connected uh, platform. You need something that is uh, uh, allowing for connected coordination. And that's really where we have to get to. Bridge the gap. Drink yeah, bridge the gap. You better drink, man. Uh, uh, but but you need to, to work this thing full circle. And how do you get that? The data has to be easy, easily accessible for non-Navisworks users. You have to automate some stuff. And there has to be a communication engine in it. So it has to be communicative, uh, easy to use, and um, 
and, and automate stuff, right? How do you do that? Model coordination. The the Autodesk Construction Cloud or BIM 360 platform, whichever you're running model coordination on, has issues built in. They have the communication built in, um, and they automate the coordination process. Yep. So it's there. It's done. Why not speed this up by tying in your design process? When your when your uh, subcontractor makes an update, why should you not have why? Pardon me, I got the hiccups now. Why should you? have to send them an email or wait till Friday for them to send you a file, let them make their changes. And as they update it, they can choose to, to publish and let you consume or, or you know, whatever, at, yes. instead of this ridiculous, um, archaic, uh, standpoint, you know, let's, let's make I've, this easier. I haven't seen a lot of li live linking out there and that's perfectly fine. If that's how you want to do it, your live as long as you know, live link and architect's design, man, you're good. Well, well that <laughs> and the problem with live linking that I've seen, is that it's it's harder to track what's happening between the different versions, right? Yeah. If you, if you get well, there's a million different packages. Versions. When you get those published packages and specifying, you know, my 30% content is this, these views, or 60% content is these oh, shapes, your milestones, you know, these views. Yeah. Yes, dude. When you're when you're pushing that information up and you're specifying that, and then you can use it as another tool. Let's think about that. Not even just publishing like, okay, I'm going to publish these views and these sheets. Yes, you're going to do that according to what you want to share with other design partners. But let's think about for the field in a second. Like for the field, they need specific information, whether they're, you know, MEP contractors, they're structural, you know, whatever it is. They need that specific information, right? Yeah. And they need it updated based off of what's happening in the design model or the construction model. And right. they need to know that they have the, the most up-to-date version because that's the they other do. part of this. Is and they they might have the most up-to-date version, but they might not know it's the most up-to-date version. Or right. they might have an updated version and think they have the most updated version. But you and I yes. are going to talk about this till we're blue in the face. In well, fact, this is probably going to be the, the, the story for a million episodes to oh, yeah. follow. Well, <laughs> what, I, what I really want to talk about is that you know reaching back to that overwhelming kind of factor when you get into something like a Revit model and you see this – this project, you know, this, um, gosh, you're, when you're exploring your project, I can't, it's, it's the, uh, oh, you're, you're typing it in right now. I just need to open up Revit. I, I've obviously drank too much, but um, when you're, when you're navigating through your project, we all know, yeah, I know we got to wrap it up. Sorry, bro. <laughs> um, but essentially as you're navigating through your project, if you, if you push this entire project out to your field personnel, that's going to be way too much data. I mean, even if you create a browser organization that kind of, you know, gives them a specified kind of filter in these views or what have you, that's still kind of a pain. I mean, it's cool, but it, it is a pain because that's so many yeah. more things that you got to go through. So many more information kind of barriers or that yellow tape that they have to wade through to try and get the information that they need. Because you know what? Maybe they need to pull a schedule and it's actually it's not available to them at that certain point. So what we're looking at is with with being able to publish information is, of course, with design partners, but also with field personnel. OK, I'm going to create a package for my field, my field personnel, my fabrication team to or my prefabrication team to to go ahead and consume down. You know what I mean? So we can give the team the the, the ability to, to consume this data in a way that they would understand it so we can filter how yeah. we push it up and allow them to pull it down. And when they do, we're automatically also, as we're kind of tying into it here, model coordination. 
we're, we're able to coordinate that data and say, okay, this is going to work here, but we need a clearance space for this, for somebody to work on this valve or this flange or this pump or what have you. We need this space here. So let's pull that into the decision that we're making with the design and with the construction itself. It, it all ties together. Exactly, man. And, and I think we're going to get there. That's why the, I brought up the whole NIBS thing earlier, the National Institute Building Sciences, um, because as we move to this unified uh, platforms and, 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 you know, talking about the data that we need in models and, and as everybody starts to adopt pieces of BIM, there has to be framework in place um, so that people know what to look for, know what to specify, know what to, uh, you know, how they're going to utilize this data downstream, what that file format's going to be and what information is going to be there. What what LOD 400 and LOD 450 mean, not just beyond this model, but what it means for the rest of the project. Like there's so much coming into it and, and it's kind of overwhelming but at the same time. I'm excited for this platform because I think this is just the stepping stone to bigger things uh, in the industry. I agree. I agree. And again, thank you all so much for joining us for another episode. Um, we look forward to having you next time and uh, stay, uh, stay great. All of you. Stay thirsty, my friends. Stay thirsty, my friends. <laughs>